welcome to Happy Healthy Year, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And today I'm with Sharon McRae, a certified health coach. She's also a mother of three. She's been adopting and applying the principles of health and nutrition in her own life for more than three decades. She became a health coach to fulfill her passion of helping others feel their best and achieve optimal health through adaptation of a plant-based whole food diet, as well as other healthy lifestyle modifications. She received her training at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York City, and she's a great website, eatwellstaywell.com. Hi, Sharon. Hi there. How are you? Thanks for coming on the podcast. I hear you're really a take-no-prisoners type of nutrition coach. (laughs) That's that's, um, from the boot camp girl. She said, you've got to talk to Sharon. She makes people stick to her stick to the plan and I just love that so let's talk about nutrition I think one of the things I mean the big thing obviously is weight management so how do you work with clients who come to you who want to change their lifestyle and how does that work with you I mean how do you start well we start by finding out why they want to work with me in the first place What is their motivation? Is it strictly weight for aesthetic purposes? Do they have a medical condition? Um, Are they finding that they're addicted to certain foods and they need to break the addiction? Just really getting to the root cause of why they're overweight. And then we move into what are they eating? You know, what kinds of foods are you eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? How often are you eating? Are you mindful when you're eating? And so we get into a discussion about... um, what are the healthiest choices? What are the foods that are likely to put weight on you? What are the things you could be eating that would cause you to be healthier and lose weight? And so my approach is really focusing on whole foods, getting people away from the processed foods that are very high in sugar, salt, and oil, um, and really aren't nutritious at all. So the body is essentially starving after you eat these things, Mm. and that's why you're continually hungry. I have a lot of clients that tell me I'm hungry all the time, and they're eating all day long. That's because the body is really very smart. Exactly. The knows body what knows it it's not getting those nutrients. So they keep eating and eating and eating and never really feeling satisfied. So that's really where we start in working together. So if I came to you, would you be nice to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always nice. I think a gentle approach is always best. But I'm also... Um, I won't say tough, but basically the way that I work with clients is I help them achieve their goals. I don't do the work for them. I don't tell them what to do. I ask them where they want to go, what is it they want to accomplish, and then I give them suggestions. Actually, I ask them, how do you think you could improve? Mm-hmm. And most of us are really, really smart. We know what we're doing wrong. We, we do. know what we could do to be better, but we don't necessarily do it because we're not held accountable by anyone. Right. You know, we hear that little voice inside that says, those Doritos look really good right now. I want them, <sighs> you know, and, and there's really nobody to, to be accountable for to say, oh, I ate those Doritos and hang your head in shame. <laughs> but um, I have had clients tell me that they've reached for something before. Like I've had clients addicted to Coke and Pepsi and they'll say they reach Coca-Cola. for Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola, not <laughs> cocaine. Um, but they reach for it. And they hear my voice inside their head and they turn away. So that's always encouraging. 
Um, so you help people stick to their goals. Exactly. And, which, which is great. And even just to check in every once in a while to, to make sure we're on track. I That's think that exactly it. Yeah. So helpful. So let's talk about some of your ideas for, you know, with, with weight management in mind. So you say that if we enjoy our food, we will never have a weight problem. Can you explain that? Well, if we're really enjoying our food, that is being present when we're eating, being mindful. Most of us are so busy. We're always multitasking, especially in this day and age with um, social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're watching something on TV. We're listening to a podcast when we're eating. We're driving when we're eating. And so your body, your mind can't really assimilate what it is that you're doing at that moment. So you just keep doing it. I mean, I think we're all guilty of mindless snacking when we're watching a movie or TV. Mm -hmm. Um, So the key is to make a healthy meal full of whole foods, whole, wholesome health, healthy foods to really take the time to appreciate the process of making it or preparing it, um, to look at it, to use all of your senses when you're eating, to really engage in the meal. Um, It doesn't mean you can't have conversation, but you should be ideally sitting at a table in a chair with a plate because most of us will snack on the go, you know, eat while we're walking around the kitchen preparing food. We're sticking food in our faces. And then when the food is really on the table in front of us, we've already eaten pretty much a meal's worth of calories. Um, So just being mindful and really engaging all of your senses, chewing really well is key because if you don't chew your food well, the digestive process actually starts in your mouth. And you're not fully digesting the food. And plus, chewing really well slows you down. So you have time to appreciate and listen to your body signals telling you when you've had enough to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been with a baby (laughs) when a baby's really (laughs) loving their food and they're just going, yeah, "Mm, mm." yes, I was I was taking. Oh, no, I was doing a podcast interview the other day and we were talking about chocolate. Yeah. And she was saying I think this was her. She was saying that wine um, wine tasters rarely have an alcohol problem because they they s- taste the wine so fully and they actually mm, you know they exactly. make a they make a noise. Right. So what if we were all just so appreciative of our food that we just went mm, yeah mm. yeah and, and I'm sure everyone's <laughs> had moments like that where they're eating a meal that was particularly amazing and you know what's interesting is that when you're really really hungry when your body really is hungry when it's true hunger then food actually tastes better. Our bodies are hardwired so that food tastes better to us when we're truly hungry. Isn't that true? So when you're truly hungry, if someone offers you an apple, you'll take it and you'll really enjoy that apple. Mm. But if you're eating the apple just kind of snacking and walking around the kitchen, you're not really going to enjoy it as much. And if somebody said to you, would you like a kale salad, and you weren't really hungry, you'd say, no, I want a piece of cake. You know, mm. so that's another sign that you're not truly hungry. Really good point. Yeah, that's so a really key is good point. Make sure you're eating because you're really hungry. So awareness of that is also very important. Exactly. Awareness of of how we're eating, what we're eating, but also whether we're hungry. How do we know when we're really hungry? Seems simple, but it maybe it's not so simple. Yeah, for you a know, lot of us. I read the book um, "Eat to Live" by Dr. Joel Furman, and that was a very pivotal pivotal reading for me. It was something that really impacted me and my relationship with food. And he talks about a concept called toxic hunger. So what he says is that most of us in this country and now sadly around the world are eating food that isn't real food. It's processed, it's packaged, it's Mm -hmm. got lots of preservatives and salt, sugar, oil, artificial flavors, artificial colors. So we're not getting the true nutrition. And we're, we're putting this in our bodies constantly. 
And what happens is our bodies during what he calls the catabolic phase, when our bodies are actually breaking down this, quote, food that we're supposed to be eating, um, we go through a process where there are toxins and it makes us feel bad. So we feel like we're hungry again. We get a growling stomach or we might get a headache or we might get irritable or feel tired. Mm -hmm. And that, he says, is not true hunger. That's called toxic hunger. When you clean up your diet and you really get those processed foods out of your diet and you start relying on the whole foods, the vegetables, the fruits, beans and legumes, um, whole grains, nuts and seeds, when you start eating food like that, that's real food, suddenly you don't experience that anymore. You may go through a period initially where you um, have a lot of it because you're detoxifying. But then once you get past that detox period, you don't experience hunger the way that you used to. So now for me... I know I'm hungry. I start to feel like um, increased salivation is one way you feel it. And he says true hunger is felt in the throat, which is kind of an interesting mm, concept. That is. What does that feel like? Yeah, I'm wondering he, if I've ever felt it. Well, you know, it's <laughs> interesting. I talk to my kids. I have three kids. I have twin daughters who are 14 and a son who's about to turn 11. And they describe hunger that way because they eat a really clean it's diet. Just, yeah. They feel it in their throat. Um, I can't say that I always do. There are times when I do. Most often, I just feel almost like there's kind of a pit in my stomach, not a growling, not a discomfort, just like a pit, like my body's kind of gently telling me it's time to refuel. It's time to replenish. It's not like a ravenous, oh, my God, I have to eat right now. It's a very gradual thing. If you do get that ravenous, oh, I have to eat right now, then that's probably the toxic hunger. Oh, interesting. So once you change your diet, you do experience hunger differently. And then once we are conscious of all this stuff, how much food to eat? I mean, that's another thing that we don't really think about. We, we get a plate in a restaurant, and everybody knows they're way, it's way more food than we Huge. ever need. And even when we're at home, I mean, how many times do we refill our plate? So how much food do we actually need? Your body actually has sensors built in to tell you exactly how much you need to maintain your ideal weight. You have a set point which is your ideal weight, and your body will tell you. The key is to listen for those signals. Mm -hmm. And most of us, again, we're so distracted when we're eating that we don't hear those signals. So we eat, you know, I think most people, if they're sitting in a restaurant and they get this huge portion, they'll eat it and they know they're just stuffed and they eat past the pain, as they say. And then the dessert menu comes. And the question is, would you like a piece of pie? And most people will say yes because they haven't had that sweet sensation fulfilled yet in the right. meal. So they'll go for it. So most people do end up eating past hunger, or past satiety, rather. So once you get tuned in, once you do start eating mindfully, paying attention to those signals, you feel that feeling in your stomach, which is telling you you've had enough. And most of us will eat past that, but the key is training yourself to get up before you've eaten that much. Yeah, and you said well, you talk about the different taste buds that we have. And that, yeah, that's there's from Ayurveda, Ayurveda right? Yes, the I listened to, exactly. I listened to a wonderful um, audio book by Deepak Chopra on Ayurveda, and it was talking about weight management. And um, he had some basic rules for eating with awareness to maintain your ideal weight. And he was saying um, one of the things is that you should eat when your stomach is empty. So if you have no remnant from food that you've previously eaten in your stomach, that's when it's time to eat. And according to the basic rules of physiology, it will take about four hours. But of course, that depends on you, your metabolism, et cetera, your weight. Um, and so they advise to 
put your hand over your stomach and feel the sensations to determine if you have food in your stomach. And if I you, do. If you do, yeah, if you do. <laughs> I'm just doing it Then right wait now. to eat. Don't eat then. Okay. And um, in the beginning, it takes a little practice, but after about three or four days, you begin to realize that you're hungry at appropriate times, so appropriate hour, number of hours between meals. And then um, they suggest in Ayurveda that for your first helping, you take what would be the equivalent of two cupped handfuls of food, which is approximately would fill about two-thirds of your stomach. And if you eat that mindfully and slowly, most of the time you'll get the sensation of, of satiety. You know, not fullness to the point where you're just, you know, you have discomfort, your stomach's distended, but you're satisfied. You could get up from the table. And it may take time to, to get to that place if you're used to overstuffing yourself. Yeah. So the key is to have lots of salad on hand. Salad, as, as Dr. Joel Furman likes to say, the salad is the main dish. So you're filling up on the most nutrient-dense food that there is, which is very low in calorie, high in nutrients. So you have a big salad to start your meal. And then you eat whatever the main meal may be. If it's, uh, you know, legumes with rice or some other type of whole grain, um, you eat that. And then you eat that until you feel like you're satisfied. Really being conscious. And maybe, are there any tips for really, like, being aware as you're eating, such as breathing or, you know, even the conversation you're having with people? Like, do you have any tips for, for not eating too much while you're Yes. I would say one of my favorite tips is put your fork down every time you take a bite. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've heard is, that so many times. Exactly. Exactly. Chew your food, what, yeah. 30 times right. or something? Very basic. Yeah. But when you actually put your fork down, it gives you a chance to breathe and to assimilate, you know. And then if you're having a conversation, you can put the fork. The fork is down so you can have the conversation and then pick up the fork again. You don't want to put more food into your mouth while you're still chewing, which I think a lot of people are guilty of. And um, you really want to focus and maybe take a couple of breaks, sip some warm water or some warm tea while you're eating hmm. um, to just slow down the pace. The key is slowing down and being aware. So and maybe put a little, uh, instead of a place card, <laughs> put a little note to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Put down the fork. Put down the fork, exactly. Put down the fork. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, those are great tips, Sharon. So let's talk about the conversion to a healthier diet. How did you come to be? I know you're you're completely vegan now. I am. Talk about that, how your transformation kind of happened. Well, first of all, I don't like to use the word vegan. Okay. Um, I am technically vegan, but I don't like the word because it implies so many things. It's, a label. Be, it's, it's a label. It's a label, and it can yeah. be a turnoff to so many people. So what I like to say is that I eat a whole food plant-based diet okay. with no animal products. Okay, like that. So that's essentially a vegan that. diet, but <laughs> but without all the attachments. Um, my evolution was very gradual. Started in my late teens. I always had sort of an awareness that I was eating something that used to be an animal. Mm. But one day, my sister and I were eating in front of the TV, a big no-no, and we were eating roast beef. And they were doing a news story about cattle. And my sister said, oh, look, we're eating that. And that was just too much for me. I put down my fork and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I couldn't do it. So I stopped eating red meat in my late teens. In my 20s, I went into um, college and I became a biology major. So I started doing dissections and looking at all the muscle tissue and the veins. And, and so I would look at the chicken on my plate and see the veins and think, oh, that's, you know, whatever. There's blood running through. And, and I couldn't. That was it. So I declared that I was poultry-free at that point. 
And um, I guess that's when I became technically, I, I was still eating fish at that point, so I was pescatarian. Um, in my 30s, I got pregnant with my twins, and I was concerned about mercury, and also still a little nauseous when I would see, you know, the fish, the veins in the fish, and if I would eat seafood like shrimp, and they had that big vein that you'd have to either pull out or just decide right. to suck it up and eat it. So I just, that was nauseating enough for me that I had to give up the fish and the seafood at that point. So by my mid-30s, I was vegetarian. Um, and so I ate, I did have a very heavy reliance on the fake meat at that point, you know, the soy burgers, the soy based chicken nuggets and those sorts of things. I was eating a lot of those and I was also eating egg whites mainly and loved feta cheese, loved pizza, so mozzarella cheese. So I was still eating a lot yeah. of dairy. Um, I have to backtrack a little bit. My mom got breast cancer when she was in her early forties. I was in my twenties. And that really impacted me at the time. It also had a lot to do with my decision to change my diet. But I also began exercising regularly at that time and just being very aware of risk factors that would potentially cause me to get it later in life. And so um, my mom actually bre battled breast cancer for 26 years off and on wow. and just died about five years ago, almost mm -hmm. five years ago. And um while she was in the hospital in the end stages of her life, when the cancer had metastasized, I was spending long days in the cancer ward at Johns Hopkins. And one of those days, I don't know, it's a very strange experience that happened, but I don't know how else to describe it. I was standing in the pantry, which is the food closet where they keep you know, the snacks for the patients. And I was just surrounded by all this grief, you know, these patients dying, the, the family members mm -hmm. grief stricken. And I was experiencing, of course, that myself. And I heard a voice and the voice said, stop eating animal protein. Now, I don't know why I would hear that voice inside my head. I had not read anything at that point that led me to believe there was any kind of connection between animal products and cancer. I don't know where it came from, but it was just an inner voice. And I thought, that's really scary. I don't think I could go vegan. You know, it was just really scary. But I thought, I'm going to try it for two weeks. I'm just going to commit and I'm not even going to tell anyone. I didn't tell my husband, didn't tell my dad, didn't tell my kids. Kept it very quiet. My husband would say, do you want an omelet for dinner? And I'd say, no, I don't really feel like having it. Do you want to order pizza tonight? I'm not really in the mood for that. So for two weeks, I was a closet vegan. And, um, after two weeks was over, I knew I was done. I just, I felt better. I felt, I didn't have that nauseous feeling in my stomach that I always had just thinking about where it came from and wondering if it was really healthy. And so um, I came out to my husband and my kids. <laughs> my husband was flipping out because at that point he said, now what will we eat? At least right. before we had dairy, now what are we going to do? My kids all started crying. And I said, you know, look, I'm not going to change your diet. You <laughs> they can started still, crying. They all cried. Yeah. I said, you can still eat whatever you want. This isn't going to change anything for you, but I'm not going to eat this anymore. I just don't feel right about eating it. So a little bit of time went on to fast forward a little bit. At that time, I was working as a makeup artist, which was quite a diversion from my science career. But when I had the kids, it was nice and frivolous and freelance, fun. And, yeah, right. I was a freelance makeup artist for Bobby Brown Cosmetics, so it was kind of fun. Um, but I had been feeling unfulfilled, like there was something missing for me. And I had started to peruse, you know, peruse some online programs and some nutrition websites. And I started getting these emails in my inbox from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition asking if I wanted to be a health coach. And I kept pushing them away and finally realized this is what I needed to do. So I decided to enter the program at Institute for Integrative Nutrition shortly after I had given up the dairy. 
And the person I spoke to on the phone when I was registering said to me, have you read the book called The China Study by T. Colin Campbell? And I said, no, I've never heard of it. And she said, you really should read that book. I don't know why she said that to me. I don't remember discussing it in the conversation, but she told me to read the book. So I did. I went out and I read the book. And after I read the book, that was when I sat down with my kids and said, okay, we're changing your diet. Because the book um, described T. Colin Campbell's experiments with casein, which is a protein in milk and dairy, and how it turns on and off genes that promote cancer. And it was very powerful for me to read that and very frightening because not only did my mother die of cancer, my father is a cancer survivor. He had kidney cancer. My two grandmothers died of different forms of cancer in their early 60s. Uh, my father's brother died of uh, prostate cancer that metastasized to his bones. So I knew the writing was on the wall for me. And I, I knew the same for my children because subsequent to that, my husband's mother was diagnosed with um, colon cancer and his mm. brother with prostate cancer. So that was enough to scare me. Yeah. And I said to the kids, no more dairy. And they, again, cried, but really hard this time. And I, I told them, I promised them I'd make it easy. I said, this this is going to be fine. You'll get through it. So I did my research, and I went out and I bought the fake cheese. I found a cheese that they really loved called Daya, and we used that for a while. I didn't need to worry about meat substitutes for them because they had never had meat. They were raised vegetarian. So we did a lot of things, their favorite foods. You know, I made pizza with the diet cheese. I made burritos. I made grilled cheese. All the things, the comfort foods for them, macaroni and cheese. So it was fine. They did great. Uh, my husband held on to his fish. He wasn't ready to give up his salmon. So he held on to that for a while. But the kids transitioned pretty easily to the the you know, plant-based diet, although granted it wasn't necessarily healthy because if you read the ingredients on the diet cheese, there's a lot of oil and, you know, again, yeah. it's not a real food. And I knew that, but I also knew I needed to get them off of cheese, which was very powerfully addicting. So I gradually phased out the diet cheese by coming up with my own substitutes. So I um, came up with a pizza-flavored hummus that I used nutritional yeast for the cheesy flavor, and I started making my pizza with that for them. And they loved it. And, and they... You know, initially they missed the diet cheese, but then they started not even asking for it anymore. It just disappeared. And then I explained to them, that's really not a healthy food. We don't need that. And again, I read um, Eat to Live by Joel Furman and Disease Proof Your Child by Joel Furman, both of which reaffirmed that I was doing the right things for my kids and I needed to move them more in the direction of whole foods. Talk about how our taste buds adapt when we change. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Very amazing concept. So what happens is when you first start eating this way, when you first start eating whole foods and you're used to eating these incredibly hyper palatable foods that aren't really food, that are loaded with sugar, salt, and oil. When you initially taste whole plant foods, it tastes very bland. And the thing most people miss the most, believe it or not, is the salt. Yeah, so that's what people, I would have said. Yeah, yeah. most people do salt okay is... with the sugar because you can still have fruit. You know, you can have dried fruit and you can still have bananas and pineapples and mangoes, which are all very, very sweet. But um, you really can't find a good substitute for salt. So that was the first thing that happened for us is that our taste buds did need to shift. And I found some tricks along the way. For instance, the apparently the taste receptors for salty and sour are close on the tongue. And so if you use things like lemon juice and lemon zest and apple cider vinegar, that will give you that little kick that you're used to from salt. So that's the first thing I started doing. And, th and there are some salt substitutes on the market that are pretty good. So you can start with those. So what ends up happening is over time, your palate becomes so clean that now if I go into a restaurant 
you know, I love Indian food, but if I go into an Indian restaurant and get the soup, I can't enjoy it anymore because it's so horribly salty to me that yeah. that's all I can taste. So your taste buds totally adapt. And what ends up happening is you enjoy food so much more than you ever did before. You taste the sweetness in an apple. You taste the saltiness in celery. I never realized that celery was high in sodium. And I was eating raw celery not too long ago. And I looked around the table at my family. I said, who put salt on this? <laughs> it was so salty. Wow. So that's another trick first if you're making soup is you can use celery juice or celery, ground up celery and put that into your soup for that salty flavor. But your taste buds really, really do adapt. And then you start feeling like you don't need sugar anymore because you have all this delicious sweetness that you can get from dates and other fruits. Um, as far as the oil, I don't use any processed oils at all. I don't, I'm not a believer that olive oil is good for you. It's a processed food. It's 120 calories per tablespoon. It's pure fat. Yeah. It has a trace amount of vitamin E, but it's pure fat. And if you think about the way that most people use oil, they take the bottle and they pour it into the pan or they pour it over their salad. And that's all those extra calories that people don't need. And I've seen people lose weight just from cutting out oil. So what I use instead of oil is I use nuts and seeds and avocados. And you can make delicious salad dressings just by pureeing some nuts and seeds with either vegetables or fruits and a little vinegar, flavored vinegars. You can make amazing salad dressings. When you're cooking vegetables, you can just use vegetable broth or vegetable juices. You don't really need to use any oil at all. Okay. Wow. So this sounds like a little bit of a um, an extra amount of work for the, the food preparer in the home. Talk about how... How, well, first of all, talk about how some shortcuts that we might take. And then how do we go to restaurants? And obviously you didn't have, well, let's stop there. How do we, how do we, shortcuts, one of the shortcuts I take is going to a restaurant. So I don't <laughs> want to give that up. So right. how do I maintain this healthy lifestyle um, while traveling or going to restaurants? And, and what can we do that are some easy, easy tips for um, creating this lifestyle at home without going nuts. Yeah. Well, first I have to say, I do spend a lot of time in the kitchen and I, initially I was not the type of person who liked to cook. I truly was not. But when I started preparing plant-based meals for my family and seeing them enjoy them, it gave me so much joy that yeah. it became a passion. So now I do enjoy my time in the kitchen. And again, it's all about meditative, you know, really focusing on the experience of cutting up the vegetables and just, you know, and getting the family involved too helps me. And you're teaching them along I'm the way, which them. is Absolutely. another, yeah. you know, gives gives back. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Good, so. It's it's very enriching to see them appreciating the food for what it is and feeling good about what they're eating. My son um, had an ice cream party at school not too long ago, and I sent him in with frozen banana berry ice cream. And I said to him, do you feel uncomfortable about eating something different than the other kids? And he was 10, and he said to me, no, Mom, I feel proud. Aww. And I said, why? And he said, because I know I'm eating food that's good for my body, and I feel sorry for my, my friends who are eating junk. Aww. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, and I think more and more there, there are more parents that are that are sending their kids to school with healthy food. Absolutely. So, so it's I don't definitely think, a trend. I don't think your son yeah. was alone in yeah. that. But in terms so. of um, shortcuts, my favorite shortcut is the pressure cooker. Mm. I could not live without my pressure cooker. Really? It I don't even life, have one. Yeah, it makes life so much easier. You can get a stovetop model, which cooks really fast, and it's not very expensive at all. And then you can get an electric one. 
The advantage of the electric one, it's a little slower because it takes a little longer to come up to pressure. But the really nice thing about it is you don't have to babysit. You just turn it on, program in the time you want, and leave. And when it's done cooking, it comes up to pressure. It stays at pressure for the programmed amount of time. It goes on to a warming cycle, and it just sits there for you ready to go. And the one that I have is actually a multi-purpose cooker. So it's a pressure cooker, a slow cooker, a steamer, a rice cooker, a Holy warmer, moly. and a browner all in one. God, that it's would called, just clean your toilet. Yeah, It'd be great it's for everything. awesome. It's called the Instant <laughs> Pot. So I really, really love awesome. that one. Um, that's, that's my biggest shortcut because I can throw a soup together in minutes, you know, as opposed to having to stand there in the kitchen all day. Using frozen vegetables is totally fine. In fact, some say that frozen vegetables are actually healthier because they're picked and they're, you know, frozen straight away after mm -hmm. picking as opposed to sitting on the shelf and sitting on the truck before you consume them. Um, so frozen vegetables, having those on hand, beans in either cans, and I recommend the BPA-free cans, or cartons, or the sprouted beans that cook up in five minutes, those are all incredible shortcuts. Um, the biggest thing, though, I think, is finding some time during the week, whatever works for you, whether it's a weekend for a couple of hours or a day during the week, and setting that aside for food preparation and doing that in bulk. So I'll make a big batch or a couple of big batches of beans, one or two big batches of grains. You know, I like to use in my house, we use wild rice, black rice, um, quinoa. So I'll make some, some of those and then have some vegetables on hand. And with that done, you can throw together meals. You can throw together a soup. You can do a stir fry. You can do a stew, a saute. You can do so many different things with that. Um, salads. I always have a salad prepared. I always have a big salad on hand so that, you know, the kids come home from school, they're hungry, they can have a salad. I'm hungry for lunch. I don't have time to prepare anything. There's always salad. So that's the other big thing. But I think when you do make dishes, if you do make a big soup or a big stew or whatever it is, make a double portion, free some away or put it in individual containers so that you can just grab it and go. You shouldn't have to cook every single day. You should be able to rely on leftovers sometimes. Yeah. I like a big pot of chili. Yeah. Because that oh, lasts chili. for several days. Exactly. Chili is yeah. wonderful, especially during this time yeah. of year. You can and throw then, anything into it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then as far as restaurants go... Um, you know, that's all changed for my family. We used to eat in restaurants at least once a week, almost every weekend. If we didn't eat in the restaurant, we were carrying out. And I have to say that the experience has become less pleasurable these days because the food doesn't taste as good to us now. It tastes over oily, over salty, over sweet. But when we do go out, we do enjoy it. And um, what I would recommend is if you are eating for health, that you explain to your server, I'm on a special diet. I don't eat animal products. And you have to define usually what that means. I don't eat any, you know, meat, fish, chicken, eggs, dairy of any sort, no butter. Um, so you have to sort of spell that out because a lot of people, you say you're vegetarian or vegan, and they say, oh, but you eat fish, right? Or you eat cheese, right? So you have to really spell that out. And then say, um, I really don't like a lot of oil or a lot of salts. So if you could prepare my food, even steamed. You know, if you go into an Asian restaurant, you can often get a plate of steamed vegetables. There's always something. Even if you go to a steakhouse, you can get a baked potato and a salad bar. You know, there's always options. Yeah. Um, and I also recommend, you know, if, again, if you're eating for health, weight management, disease prevention, that you perhaps eat a little bit beforehand. Maybe have a big salad or have some soup at home beforehand. And then I always travel with a cooler with something in it, you know, because you never know when you'll get stuck in a traffic jam and you don't want to have zero options. And what's in available. your cooler? Usually hummus and vegetables and fruit and sometimes nuts and seeds, like a little trail mix kind of thing. 
Um, but but always something, you know, something that will sustain us. Okay. Those are great tips. Those are really good. Well, you know, the other byproduct of eating, uh, because I really believe in the mind-body-spirit balance, and another byproduct of eating um, a clean diet is that sense of tapping into your own intuition, which you really did in the hospital that day with your mom. Absolutely. And some of the hardest lessons that we have to learn in life are the ones that lead us to our biggest transformations. And obviously, with your experience with breast cancer, um, it's changed your life. So let's talk about where you are with breast cancer in this culture and, and the idea that prevention is not our main focus today, which I am totally on board with you on that. I think we need so much more prevention material. Absolutely. I think, you know, I used to do the Susan G. Komen Race for the Cure every year. Me too, girl. And I used to buy all of the pink ribbon products that would come out at this time of year. And then one day I stopped and I thought about it and I got really angry because I thought, you know, we know that there are certain things that promote breast cancer. You know, there are certain personal care products that contain ingredients that promote cancer, and they have a pink ribbon on them. There are food products that promote cancer, and they have a pink ribbon. I've seen pink ribbons on buckets of chicken. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's annoying. And, yeah. and I just realized that this isn't really helping anyone. And getting mammograms, telling women to go get a mammogram, isn't really helping her not get breast cancer. So I think it's really important that we take the focus and put more emphasis on prevention. There are certain foods. There's another, I I keep quoting Dr. Joel Furman because he really is who I look to for this type of advice because he specializes in cancer prevention. Um, My favorite book by him is called Super Immunity. And in the book, he details certain foods that are actually very preventive against breast cancer, including mushrooms. Women who eat one mushroom a day have a 64% decreased risk of breast cancer. Oh, I had about 10 yesterday. There you go. (laughs) So mushrooms are a superfood. They're Mm -hmm. really, really amazing. They have all types of preventive um, qualities about them. Um, Women who eat flaxseed. Flaxseed is also very protective. Cruciferous vegetables like kale, collards, bok choy, cabbage, those sorts of vegetables, Brussels sprouts, those are very protective. Um, Green tea is another one that's very protective. So if we informed all women that there are things they could do, exercise is really good for prevention of breast cancer, Um, making sure that you sleep. There have been studies out recently that talk about sleep deprivation. And during the night, if you're up and your melatonin gets interrupted in the middle of the night, like women who work the night shift are at higher risk of breast cancer. So getting adequate sleep is very important. And then just living a clean life, you know, just minimizing stress, um, not exposing yourself to toxins as we, as I discussed earlier. But I think those things are things that women should know. And I actually just recently wrote an article in a local magazine about that. It's on my website um, about the things that really I think women should be informed about. And sadly, a lot of the physicians aren't aware of this information, and so they're not telling their patients. It's sadly up to us to inform ourselves. But I would like to really see a shift. I'd like to see this stop because breast cancer wasn't always around. So where is it coming from? Why is the risk not going down? Why why are so many women dying of this? Right. It's been a long time, and it's time to yeah. to do something about it instead of just... Putting keep, a Band-Aid on it, or, or, not getting to the root cause. We just keep 
band, you know, putting Band-Aids on it. We're right. looking for this magic bullet well, in the become, form of a drug. It's become a business. And, it is, totally. And there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money yes. on, on this industry, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop because women are still dying. Nobody's right. getting better. Right. And the thing is, these drugs, and I know this from watching my mother, every drug you take has side effects. Right. And then that creates something else you need another drug for, which creates another side effect. And it's just this endless cycle. My poor mom suffered so much from the intervention. Right. You know, and I and I just can't help but believe that if she had been told after her first incidents with breast cancer in her early 40s, if someone would have said to her, she was overweight, she was always overweight, and she had a horrible diet. She had a lot of animal protein. She had a lot of dairy, very little in the way of fruits and vegetables. She just didn't like them. So if somebody had said to her, you need to get the weight off, you need to change your diet, I truly believe she'd still be here today instead of suffering endlessly from all of the interventions that she had. I mean, she had radiation. She had burns on her chest. She had chemotherapy. She was sick and lost her hair. I mean, just one thing after another after another. And granted, she did live for 26 years, but quality of life was not so great. And the fear that's involved. The fear. The fear in the whole medical system is just paralyzing. Exactly. We were all so afraid. We always felt like the other shoe was was about to drop every time she'd go in for for a test or a, a doctor's visit. We were terrified. And she lived her life in fear. Yeah. So it was a horrible journey. And I would love to do whatever I can to inform women that you don't have to go there. Well, you are, and keep up the good work with that. So if someone's interested in working with you, I'm sure you can work, if you're not local, by Skype or by telephone. How would they get in touch with you? They can visit my website, which is www.eatwell-staywell.com. Okay. This has been an amazing interview. I'm inspired, and um, yeah... I'm already pretty good, but I'm doing a couple things I gotta get rid of. Thank you. Thank you for reminding well, me, Sharon. You're welcome, honey. It's been a pleasure. I hope you'll come back.